1: Amazing, fabulous, interesting, fascinating, listened to by you and yeah. 15 other people. Yeah. Episode of FNO and SureTech.
2: There's more than 15.
1: 17 people.
2: Give or take.
1: Who <laughs> listen. Look, I mean, we're a niche podcast. Let's be honest. We're a niche. Yeah. But I think we're pretty
2: big within the niche that we fill.
1: I mean, if we were talking about politics right or left, we'd be big com- podcast yeah right. yeah If we we're talking about true crime,
2: we'd yeah, be a big those podcast. are real popular. I heard someone talk about that the other day, right. If we were talking about sex, yeah, I don't think you can say that on this podcast
1: <laughs> We'll get an explicit rating. yeah if you were talking about sex, we'd be a big podcast, right?
2: yeah, but we talk about insured tech- not even insurance. we talk no. about insurance technology, like not the even subset insurance. of insurance.
1: We talk about a niche of a niche.
2: Niche of a niche.
1: And it's a big niche. Yeah. You know? But someday we'll find a way to mix true crime, Mm -hmm. sex, celebrity interviews- Mm -hmm. And politics. Politics and insurtech all together.
2: Yeah, then we'll have a gigantic audience. And we'll have a gigantic so audience. so confused then on, we'll, our, on our subjects.
1: Then we'll blow past right past 20 people. Watch out, Joe Rogan. Here we come. Truth be told, we've had tens of thousands of podcasts downloaded. We're doing good. I'm very happy with it. We, we're, we're Okay, enough of this. We have David McFarland, the co-founder and CEO of Coterie.
2: Yeah, David is a great guy. Second time on the podcast, he comes back on, and he's going to tell us all about Coterie, the startup story, what they're doing, what's going on in this crazy world, uh, and and how they're how they're navigating it. Uh, David's a really really sharp, smart, funny guy, and I'm happy that he's on today. I
1: want you to know that Coterie has a definition. It's a noun. Would you like to know what it is? I would love it. It's a small group of people with shared interests or taste, especially one that is exclusive of other people.
2: Like a club.
1: Yeah. There you go. And Coterie is uh, making waves. They're doing great. And you're going to hear all about it today. So if you're in the SMB space, if you're in the MGA space, if you're an insure tech company, you want to hear this. So, yes, without further ado, without further ado, let's get to our interview with David McFarlane, co founder and CEO of Coterie Insurance. Hey, everybody. We are here with our guest, a two timer in the Two-timers. best way, second time on the FNO InsurTech podcast, but the first time just talking about his gig. So we're thrilled to have with us today, David McFarland, the co-founder and CEO at Coterie. Coterie is, well, I'm not going to tell you. Why should I spoil it? I mean, that's why we have you here, right?
0: Uh, it, it, it's good to be here, Robin Lee. Thanks for
1: having me on. Welcome <laughs> back, David. Well, thank you. Thank you. We uh, we had to go through a couple fits and spurts to get you on, but that's super common. And I know we talked a little bit about Coterie last time. It was a long time ago already. We're coming up on our fourth year of doing this podcast. So time goes by, but let's start by talking about what the Heck Coterie is and, and what you guys do.
0: Yeah. So what I like to say is we're, we're an insurance manufacturer. And this this is a little bit different than how most people think about insurance in general. And the reason why I say insurance manufacturer is because an insurance manufacturer is created to create insurance products to help insurance distributors distribute the insurance product. And I think a lot of times we just think of like insurance carriers and then agents and brokers and stuff like that. And what we are at Coterie is we're an insurance manufacturer. We create the insurance products specifically focused on property and casualty, small commercial. And we equip our distribution partners to sell those products in a way that, frankly, just makes that TAM much more accessible, small commercial, uh, total addressable market, as well as makes them money uh, and we do that via focusing on speed, simplicity, and service. We've got a pretty strong product in both BOP, general liability, professional liability that enable agents and brokers, as well as non-traditional partners to sell those products extremely efficiently uh, in a way, again, that's going to help make the money and access a big market.
1: What are the lines that you do sell?
0: We sell BOP, general liability, professional liability, admitted product. We sell in all the states now. We actually just launched in New York this week. I saw that. Yeah, on stage 14.
2: Congratulations.
0: Thanks. It's been, uh, we're in most classes. uh, So like, I think we write about like 70% of NAICS codes, uh, which is great for our partners. We, We built out four partnerships. We wanted to make it so that our partners could actually, you know, sell products in a way that's that's fairly flexible for them. And to do that, we wanted to have a lot of room in terms of classification. Another component is um, we also sell in the the non-traditional space that help partners like QuickBooks and uh, merchant services and payroll.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is how do people find their way to you? That's an interesting part of your story.
0: Yeah, so we don't spend any money on D2C. We, again, we focus nearly exclusively on the partnership channel to enable our partners to uh, you know, do what they do best, and you know, we get some D to C. Like some just come to us just based on that, but not not really. And the main way they find their way to us is through our partners. As in, you know, they go to an agent or broker. They need a small business policy. They can go through that, or they're on QuickBooks and they're utilizing their software, and they find us through that.
2: Tell us about that in the in the press release for New York. It was talking about embedded, uh, or maybe something else. I was talking about embedded being within QuickBooks. How would somebody find you using QuickBooks? Is there a link? Is there, hey, click here to, to buy insurance? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so the type of embeddedness can, can vary based on the partnership. So we do have partners where it's just like a link to our quote flow. That's not what we, we would really consider embedded. We much prefer the type of embedded partners who are more advanced like QuickBooks and others where we're actually in their software and you can actually go from like, quote to full bind where documents populate inside the software all there everything is there so you're
1: on their website the whole time
0: yeah their website their software their mobile app whatever it is we have partners do all the above
2: wow yeah we were talking just last week with caitlin johnson from american family ventures and she was talking about how embedded is kind of the newest, most popular buzzword out there. Is that a good market strategy for you? Is the embedded partnership, is that is that working well?
0: I'm a fan of it. I'm not very trendy or marketing-y. So I, I call it points of relevance back in... I think it was 2014 when I was working with Jewelers Mutual and we were doing some of the first quote unquote embedded insurance. And what we were doing is we were partnering with online jewelry stores uh, to really, I mean, it was, it was terrible technology, no, no offense to Jewelers Mutual, but we would just basically put a link to our quote flow inside of these online jewelry stores, inside like the shopping cart, and they pop over and be able to get a policy with us. And that was like, that was incredible because we saw... Just great growth at a, at a really good cost of acquisition, and it was delightful to the end consumer, right? It, it checked all the boxes, and so I saw that model. I saw it work from an expense standpoint, from a customer satisfaction standpoint, and from a loss ratio standpoint. And I said to myself, well, "What if we, what if we did this with actually good technology? Yeah, meet people in points where it's relevant to them, capture that data, right, and." Use that data not only for the binding of policies and making that process really delightful, but also for the subsequent servicing, rating, stuff like that, so that we can we can get data that no one else has, so that we can segment and price and service in ways that no one else can, creating that long term moat. And so that that was the idea uh, when we we started Coterie.
1: So on the issue of cost of acquisition, I find that to be a very interesting thing. Talk about the impact of embedded insurance. Uh, or with your experience anyways, and, and cost of acquisition?
0: I am a much bigger fan of embedded insurance uh, than I am direct-to-consumer. I'm not here to, to trash direct-to-consumer lines or anything like that, um, or carriers. But frankly, when you have a D2C, the market economics can shift dramatically. And you're usually paying based on leads. You're not paying on bound premium. Right? Whereas if you work with agents, brokers, or have embedded insurance, you have a much closer tie to the actual bound premium than you do uh, in D2C world. And so you have a unit economic structure that's much more palatable than the D2C side of things, where pretty much anyone can bid and change the market anytime. Uh, so for that reason, the unit economics associated with the embedded side is generally much more favorable.
1: Uh-huh. And I would think that the company that you're embedded with it's like found money
0: yeah that's exactly right they're running their business and you're going to offer them ancillary revenue to run their business right like they're doing absolutely nothing so they're able to increase their revenue coming in with no additional expenses just by adding this service in so well
1: they're giving you a little bit of real estate
0: yeah yeah a little bit that's exactly
1: right that's exactly right i find it very interesting like the, the thing that i'm sure that most people are most uh exposed to is every time you buy an airline ticket. Yeah. Right? Yep. That has nothing to do with the airline. Nope. Nothing. Yep. But you you even can't finish until you until you tell them yes or no. Yes. They're big fans, clearly.
0: Oh, it's it's beautiful. Uh I mean, you know, warranty has had this figured out forever. Yeah. Like warranty yes. is nothing but point of relevance. Uh, and I mean, warranty products, ladies, you are not getting your money. I I've created warranty products. <laughs> it's uh it's not a great field in terms of the value to the customer. Right. But the attachment rates are incredible regardless of the price.
2: David, why don't you take us back a little bit and, and talk to us about the founding story of, of Coterie. What, you know, what, where'd this idea come from and, and what did that look like?
0: Yeah, so I'm a recovering actuary. I, <laughs> I started off as a as an actuary for the National Council on Compensation Insurance in CCI, which okay. if you know anything about insurance and workers comp, you probably know NCCI. They handle all the data for workers comp for like 40 of the 50 states. And they have a, it's an amazing company really. It's it's like 100 actuaries and then like uh, 900 other folks who, you know, work on data, service all kinds of stuff. And it was really there that I started the idea because we we had all this information coming in that was not always reliable, as you would imagine, that workers' comp data is not always reliable. And I was like, well, why, why is this so hard? We need to know two things. We need to know what people are doing and how much they're getting paid, right? Like, why are we trusting people with this information when we have you know, HR systems, payroll, all that stuff that has all this information? Let's just use it. And I went into actuarial consulting after NCCI and I found out why uh, we weren't doing that largely. And the reason was that technology was too hard. Um, and that's true. Like it's, frankly, it's very difficult to just layer on uh, additional technology on some of the existing carrier frameworks. Uh, and the second reason was you know, potential disintermediation. And at the time, um, you know, many commercial line carriers weren't, were very hesitant to even flirt with the idea of disintermediation based on what was happening on the personal line side. Geico, progressive, stuff like that. Yeah. And so I I had a different belief. I thought, one, we could build the technology to do it. And two, we could actually use it to empower intermediaries as opposed to disintermediate. Uh, So basically create an insurance manufacturer for the distributor, whether that's traditional, non-traditional, and even in the Non-traditional place where you're, you're tapping into software, you can even use that data to help your traditional players, your agents and brokers. And that was the idea. I then went to Jewelers Mutual, uh, helped, do it, helped start doing some of the first embedded stuff, uh, saw that really work well, kind of developed that thesis that I mentioned earlier. Uh, had no idea how to start an insurance company. Uh, thankfully, around that time, a guy named Kyle Nakazuchi, uh, he was at Amphan Ventures. He reached out and was like, hey, you want to start a company called ClearCover? So I second employee there was chief actuary, head of insurance product, told him from the beginning, I was like, look, love this idea, but I really want to focus on starting a commercial insurance long term, commercial insurance company long term. Would you be amenable to me learning what I need to learn here and then moving on? He he said yes. uh, And then two years into it, I was like, all right. Time for oh, me to go. <laughs> time to go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he he's always been fantastic. If you know Kyle, he is just one of the best people out there, and so he's all he's been supportive throughout this whole journey. Uh, I mean, we we still talk monthly. I actually, talked to him a couple hours ago. You know, started Coterie. Uh, with that idea of bringing speed, simplicity, and service to commercial insurance through partners, uh, through partnerships, 100%. And we started that way from the beginning, focused on non-traditional to begin with. Because if we... I, I've seen it fail so many times where people just build for traditional and then try and expand out. We built for non-traditional and then focused in. And that, that made our technology stack much more... Uh, extensible and flexible to be able to do that rather than to do it in the other way. I and mean, we have some fantastic partners in both the traditional and non-traditional space. We're, we're pretty thankful.
2: You said you started with the small business commercial side, but you also have uh, just regular property and casualty. Is that right?
0: We sell business owners products, general liability, professional liability. We'll be launching workers comp in the second half of the year. Those are our now- amazing products.
2: So is it, is it difficult to do the uh, workman's comp? Is that a whole different skill set that, that your team has to have?
0: I mean, each line of insurance is kind of its own bag. Like, I mean, professional liability is a very different game than even a bop, right? Because on yeah. the bop side, you have property components. You also have the liability component, uh, whereas professional liability is a pure liability side. Workers' comp workers comp is complex, and you do have to have a speciality in workers' comp. It, On the claims side, especially. So claims handling is very important on workers' comp. Uh, And then just really have to know the specifics of workers' comp in the various states and like where you'll get hurt and where you won't. So we do do focus on having insurance talent that knows that type of stuff.
1: Are you guys an MGA? Yeah, we're an MGA structure. Okay. So um, do you have ambitions of becoming a carrier when you grow up? I get that question a lot. Frankly,
0: not anytime soon. The reason why I hesitated, because like, when, when will I grow up, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had a very, people thought I was crazy. They, back when I used to say, or when I said this in the beginning of Coterie, but I, I looked at the economics of an MGA versus a full stack carrier, especially in the commercial line space. And I was like, look, in order to effectively be a carrier on the commercial line side, you have to be A or A minus rated, right? Like, agents or brokers will not sell you. They can't yeah. based on their, their you know, uh, if you don't have that rating. And so that means, you know, in order to please the powers that be at AM Best, I have to, you know, throw in $70 million into a low yield bank account. And frankly, I, I just think we're getting more return on investment with that money if we focus it on the company. Uh, even if that means we operate in an MGA structure with a slightly lower you know, percent of premium that we get to collect. so. For that reason, we'll stay in MGA for as long as it makes sense from an ROI perspective.
1: I want to ask you one more question about your products, and that is you're very focused in on independent contractors. Talk about that for a minute.
0: So we we focus on independent contractors, and what we did was when we created the product, uh, we went from simple to complex. This sounds very elementary, right? <laughs> uh, so independent contractors were a very simple uh, product to create, right? Like you have a general liability policy that covers most of them. You know, maybe there's some professional liability for your graphic designers or software engineers, whatnot. And then we added property over time, bringing in that bop, and then added additional endorsements so that we could continue to grow the average premium and go upstream. Uh, now we're at a point where, yes, we work with a lot of independent contractors, but we also work with a lot of small businesses as well because we've we've made the product more robust.
1: Has the effect of COVID played into that in a positive way for you guys? I mean, with the number of people leaving jobs, trying to do things on your own, have, can you connect those dots?
0: It's hard to say. It hasn't hurt. I think we're in a... Commercial lines, at least, was fairly resilient throughout COVID, except the drops in payroll, which largely impacted workers' comp. So you saw a massive drop in payroll, obviously, and that lowered workers' comp premium because it's assessed on payroll. But the, the thing was, is on the general like Bob side, you had two things happening. One is during the recovery, you had many small businesses start spinning up again. Two is you had the independent workforce, right? And people who need GPLs and whatnot, people who decide they're going to do a little bit of a consulting gig, all that kind of stuff, who are getting general liability and bot policies as well. And so I, it's hard to quantify how much that has helped our business, but we haven't seen any uh, slowdown, let's say.
1: Let's talk about the world that we live in today. We're recording this in June and of, of uh, 2022 and... The financial markets are tumbling everybody's doesn't matter how far you have to go until retirement you can't help but looking at the blood that comes out of your 401k statement when you look at it it's a tough time financially and for somebody who's venture-backed that that makes you particularly vulnerable can you can you share with us what it's like navigating running a company uh, through through these kind of markets and times yeah, I, I can speak to my
0: experience, and as we were talking about before the show, you look at the news and you see you know, layoffs you know, in, in a number of places. It's sad to see, and there's a misconception that like a lot of these founders are, you know, well, they're bad founders or bad co-founders because they let this happen. how How could they do that? And frankly, like leading these companies you you should play to the market at times. Yes, you should create companies that are focused on the long term, but you have to create assumptions based on the financial models of you know, how to grow, how to grab market share, and take advantage of the resources at your disposal. Frankly, getting money to create companies can come from a number of different areas. It can come from borrowing, you know, through banking, uh, debt. It can come through equity raises. It can come through IPOs. And it can come through asset sales, right? You can sell parts of your company. And when you're defining a strategy, you have to take a realistic look at what the various funding opportunities are available to you and execute as best as you can. However, if your assumptions prove to be wrong, you have to be willing to change your plan. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're experiencing right now. Me, my many founders and CEOs have had created a plan of where we thought we'd be able to grab market share, grow, et cetera. And we had fundamental assumptions baked into that. And as we got into 2022 and we saw the NASDAQ take you a know, 30% nosedive through the year, we said, wait a second, these assumptions may not be holding. The smart thing to do is to recalibrate, reforecast, and make sure that you know, we can make it long term and create a viable company. And what this looks like is, you know, people like us who not just trim some fat, but cut into muscle, so that you don't have to cut off a leg a year later. And yes, like people say, like, oh, well, you, have, you have lots of money in your bank account, like oh, everything looks fine, you're growing. Like, yes, and the smart people are going to do this very, very early because it's very painful to drive into a wall at 100 miles an hour. It's much better to, when you see it coming from a long way, slow down, change lanes, avoid the major crash.
1: Yeah, a fender bender is better. Yes. Than a head-on collision. That's right. Than being T-boned. That's right. Absolutely. So let's talk about you for a few minutes. Yeah. You're a nerd. You're a Math guy, correct. I mean, I we were talking before the podcast today that it's great to have actuaries on because it's so easy to make an actuary uncomfortable, and we're not going to do that today. Oh, but I just want you to know that I'm holding that in reserve should I need it. How in the world, first of all, what is an actuary, and how does one wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be an actuary?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So an actuary, I'll go, with, I'll go with the person. So an actuary is someone who assesses and quantifies risk, right? That's, that's the best way I can describe it. So the, the example that I give, which is a terrible example because it's fairly complicated, uh, is insurance is essentially uh, taking volatility, which is, you know, the line bouncing back and forth and saying, I don't want that line bouncing back and forth. I want all that volatility. I want a smooth line. Well, you have to pay to remove that volatility right? There, there's a cost to that. So an actuary comes in and figures out how much you have to pay to turn that volatile, bouncy line into a smooth line. The answer to your second question is, how How did I become an actuary? I'll, I'll speak for me because I, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Um, I avoided math like the plague throughout all of college, almost all of college. And turns out they make you take math when you're in college. And I chose a class that was the most least sounding math math class. Uh, I liked, I was a history major. I liked philosophy and stuff like that. And so I took a class called formal logic because I was like, oh, it has the word logic in it and formal. Who knows what that means? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it turns out it's a math class. It's not just a math class. It is like a, it is like a pure math class. And, you know, one of was like dropout rates of like 60%. Uh, I loved it. I asked the teacher on the second day, I was like, what do I have to do to do this every day for the rest of my life? And <laughs> <laughs> after he just like shook his head, <laughs> yeah, he like, oh, was, yeah.
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> was like, look, man, because I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had never seen this before. And he was like, look, become a lawyer or a mathematician, either one. And I was like, I don't want to go to any more school. I'm going to switch my major to a mathematician. So I went to the registrar's office the next day, switched over to becoming a math major. And they asked me, they were like, well, there are multiple tracks. Which which one do you want to go on? And uh, my answer, which led me to the actuarial side, was whichever one helps me graduate the soonest, which was Smart. the actuarial track. Yeah, thanks. Smart. And um, while I was in school and taking actuarial exams, I had to take a stupid number of uh, classes, and math classes, in order to graduate on time. A girl came up after one of the classes and was like, are you studying for the actuarial exams? And like any stupid boy in college, I said, of course I am. And... Hence, I became an actuary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, so yes, what we'll you're saying together. is
1: you did it to meet girls. That's exactly right. I, yeah. Unashamedly. <laughs>
2: <Might be. laughs> At no point did I think that that path would lead to meeting girls. But hey, what did I know? Ugh. Well, tell us this. So so Coterie is nationwide. You just announced that you went into New York, where I think it said it's like the 10th largest I know business e- economy in the world, right? It's yeah, huge. That's right. So, so what else is on the on the roadmap for Coterie? What do you what are you looking at once you conquered the the nation?
0: Yeah, so we've uh, we've got a pretty neat product that's coming out uh, in the next month, and it's it's going to be uh, one that kind of revolutionizes how small commercial is done. Just heavy use of of data and technology to. Make make life a lot simpler for agents and brokers and partners. Uh, so we're we're really excited about that. Oh, that's that's a little teaser. Uh, the other thing that we're we're pretty excited about is the uh, the launch of our workers comp product in the second half of the year. We'll be we're doing a, a small concentrated launch and then rolling it out to a number of states after that. Uh, but we want to make sure everything's right, and then we'll like I said, turn on a bunch of states subsequently.
2: That's awesome.
1: So. I wanna to touch back on something that you mentioned earlier about Clear Cover that you were at Clear Cover for a couple of years. You were very early there. And Clear Cover is one of the insure tech success stories out there. Kyle's done an amazing job. Would love to have him on the podcast FYI.
2: If only we knew somebody who knew him.
1: If only there was a way to get to him. I'll just I'll um, text
2: him. <laughs> go back to your recently dialed list.
1: Um, what did you learn at Clear Cover? Oh
0: man. I'm still learning things from Kyle and what he's, what he's doing at ClearCover. It's one of the reasons why I stay in touch with him. One of the key things that I learned and continue to learn is the value of first order, negative, second order, positive. And uh, what this means is a lot of things that we do naturally are first order, positive, second order, negative, right? Like, not saving for retirement right like i get to spend all this money now and then i eat cat food in 30 years right like that's not a good thing
1: <laughs> <laughs> so is that another way of saying good now bad later yeah
0: that, that's exactly right yeah yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know and the we look at like the best things in life and many of them are first order negative second order positive right it's hard now right like eating right exercising, having children. goodness gracious, I have four of them. And like oh, first yeah. order negative, second <laughs> order positive, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully.
1: Hold on to that.
0: yeah <laughs> oh. seeing Kyle and us working through things and you know building out a company and just the hard things that you have to do and all these little shortcuts that you can take that may be first order positive, Second-order negative. Just having that drilled into us from a mindset perspective of let's think about the second and third-order impacts here, so that we don't do something that's you know just first-order positive, second-order negative, but instead focusing on those things that are first-order negative, second-order positive.
1: Very interesting. I mean, I'm I'm just running through a list in my mind of all you that, think, like you know, drinking heavily, right? That's right. Yeah but you're right. I mean, some, some have a short window, but some have a very long window. That's right. And so, so how do you relate that to your business?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's something that I talk about a lot. You just think about like the various things, like even when building out just some basic technology, right? Like there are things that you can do that you're like, you're going to talk about tech debt, right? People talk about tech debt all the time where it's like, Oh, well, we're going to cheat on this one thing so that we can get to market faster but the long-term implications of that are you 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 end up suffering. You know, it, it, it's debt, right? Debt is something that is first-order positive, second-order negative. You get the money now, but then you have to pay it back later. And tech debt is no different, right? It's like you're borrowing now, but then you have to pay that debt down sometime in the future. If you keep accumulating tech debt, you you may go tech bankrupt. <laughs> that's, that's not a good place to be in. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we think about that on not just technology side, but also insurance product side, like, oh, well, you know, you hear people like, well, if you you go too high on your rates or you do this or do that, you're not going to get market share. Uh, Like you need to price things from an actuarially adequate standpoint. And that may mean you're, you know, you may think you're not going to get as much market share up front, but I promise it's going to be a lot better than in, you know, two years when you run at 120% loss ratio and you have to take, you know, 60% 60% increase on your customers and they all leave you, right? Like you got to think about these things.
1: So we haven't asked, you know, the hard question. And, and that is, is it going well? Are you growing? Is business good? Are you making money? Now I'm going to be like your dad. Are you making money <laughs> for God's sake? Uh, th- thankfully
0: things are going well. Uh, I mean, that, that was honestly one of the hardest things about the, the layoffs. Like we have been hitting our stretch goals, beating plan, all the things were going well. But as I said, the plan was created. I mean, 100% on me. Like, all those layoffs are not because my team was not performing well, right? Like what happened is, is on me because I created the plan, right? And when it came down to it, we're executing on the plan. But the fundamentals, the assumptions of the plan were, we're not going to hold up in this environment. And so we had to change the plan. Yeah, And so like the team had been executing so well and like business had been growing, but frankly, it's like, you have to change the plan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my son, who I've mentioned many times on the podcast, who uh, is a co-founder of a startup in, in the SMS space, e-commerce SMS space. And the fact is, is that the situation today is changed. Yes. And every indication is this isn't a hiccup. And so, like you were saying, if it's a hiccup, you swerve, you you swerve and you miss the wall. But if there's nowhere to swerve to, then you have to, then you have to take action.
0: That's right.
1: That's Um, exactly right. And, uh, um, and, and those, those are difficult and and frequently hard for people to understand. But um, no one said to you, hey, you get to be a CEO and it's all fun. It's, it's, it's first order positive. Second order negative. (laughs) I don't know. I guess it probably depends on the day, huh?
0: It it also depends on the CEO, frankly. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, it's, that's the thing. Like it's a part of the job. Like our, you know, the role of a CEO, the role of a leader is, is to, to serve, to equip your people to do what they do best. And really, to lead people where they wouldn't go otherwise, and you you're going to do that effectively if you just like take the general consensus constantly. You don't need a leader if everyone's just going to do whatever they want. And you just are a cheerleader for that. like you have to do the hard things if you want to be an effective leader, right like lead people where they would not go themselves, otherwise, what are you doing as a leader
1: mm hmm. Maybe just cash and paychecks. Yeah, that's that's fair. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Well, listen, we, we, just so you know, we hear nothing but great things about Coterie and, um, and we know how to say the name. We know how to pronounce it.
2: That's right.
1: And
2: um, and just so our audience knows,
1: (laughs) see our audience often wonders what's in it. What's in it for Lee and Rob anyways?
2: Yeah, that's a good and question.
1: Truth is, it's swag, folks. It's all about swag. <laughs> right. And um, David has already agreed that um, to send us a shameless amount of swag <laughs> in, exchange, in exchange for this episode, a small price to pay.
0: Oh, small price to pay. Ha- happy to do it. Happy to do it. Just send me, send me the, the t-shirt sizes and the number of
1: them. You got it. Well, listen, thanks for being with us. And- uh, and have a great summer and happy Father's Day, and we will see you at ITC in the fall. I'm sure.
2: All right. Thanks, Robin Lee. That's Thanks, great. David. What a great guy. Yeah, he's like a wonderful David. guy. I like actuaries. He's a he's a fun, personable, smart guy.
1: And unfortunately, we don't publish our video, but mm-hmm. he's like
2: buff. he's jacked. the whole time. I'm thinking, he's I do curls. Why do my arms not look like his arms?
1: And I think that we'll always remember first order positive, yeah. Second order negative.
2: I think that's a great lesson. That's a great lesson. And I was just running through the list of things in my head that I've done, uh, you know, short term for the win that'll hurt me long term, uh-huh. and that sometimes you got to delay those things, you know, delay the positive.
1: Just checking, was the podcast one?
2: No, I don't. I don't think about the podcast that much.
1: This, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow, the podcast has already changed your life, Lee Boyd.
2: It has, and I got to meet people like David. When, when would I have ever met David if it hadn't been for this podcast?
1: Have we made it to 200 episodes yet?
2: No, I think we just did 180. Okay, based on so Twitter.
1: we've literally met hundreds of people, fascinating people who are out there
2: on Changing the, edge. the world
1: of things, trying to change the world, innovating, being clever, succeeding, failing, standing up, running fast, falling down, getting back up again. What a privilege this has been. What an honor this has been, right?
2: I couldn't agree more. I think it's really been great.
1: First order positive, second order positive. There you have it. There you have it. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you being with us. As always, thanks to Alicia Moss and Al Moya for everything that they do, because if they didn't do what they do, you would just hear this. (laughs) So until next time.
2: Goodbye, everybody.